Stardate 0121.21 Star Trek Discovery Pod, a kind of smart, kind of funny podcast about new Star Trek and beyond. I'm your reluctant captain, Mike Garcia. With me on the view screen, we Mariah Gossett and Grant Davis. And I'm lowering my volume because you guys are loud. All right. Are Tonight, we? <laughs> live on youtube twitch facebook and twitter to look back on star trek discovery season three it's our full season review pod we'll cover some of the season's major character arcs you'll get our opinions on all the serial storylines and the characters and yes we will have hot freaks especially on the new uniforms uh we'll also drop some of your and our season four predictions and theories. So go ahead and drop your theories and predictions in the chats. But before we carry on, Mariah, can you let everybody know how to support the pot? I sure can. So there are a couple of ways you can support this little podcast of ours. First is to subscribe to the audio version. Um, Those numbers help us out so that more people can find the show. Uh, So wherever you get your pods, you can find us. Uh, You can also subscribe to this YouTube channel or wherever you're watching us uh, on the live stream and hit that notification bell so you know when we go live. All of that and more can be found at StarTrekPod.co. Uh, you can also help support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. There you can go and make a per episode pledge. Give us a buck or two an episode. If you give us two bucks an episode, you can go ahead and uh, you, you get an exclusive invite to our Slack channel. Pretty cool because we have a bunch of fantastic, lovely people. Great Trekkies already over there. It's a warm welcoming and encouraging environment that uh, we would love to have you come join. And that is once again, making a $2 um, an episode pledge over at patreon.com slash star Trek pod. Like bonus exclusive, like um, episodes here and there just for our patrons. We try and make it worthwhile. We appreciate all y'all so much. So much fun. I know, um, I think the uh, Star Trek Lower Decks is dropped for our international crew. Um, So I know our our friends and fam in like Australia and the UK and all that have uh, just started to watch uh, Lower Decks and the Slack community is doing a live watch along uh, starting tomorrow of Lower Decks. So very exciting that they get to see it for the first time and all of us who've already seen it can revisit it. So something new to do and to uh, comment on and chat with our Star Trek community. Very exciting. Yeah, totally worth it. Uh, I'd also like to go ahead and say that um, Clyde is absent and um, does seem for the moment that Mike is actually <laughs> absent as well. He, he yeah. dropped off suddenly, but uh, I'm sure he'll be back here in just a second. Um, in the meantime, um, if you guys are watching us live, want to let you know that if you toss up some comments or uh, questions that you have into the live chat, be sure to type the type capital P O D or this way P O D um, at the beginning of your comment. And that's just an easier way for us to look over, see all the comments that are going on over there and just grab one to drop it in here for the show. So we can actually discuss it because you know, people are also chatting with each other. And so that'll make things easier for us. If you guys could go ahead and do that, but we love the engagement of all y'all. Yeah, I can already see Travis G has dropped something in yeah. uh, into the chat. Season four theories, big bads, love triangles, dilithium, and spore drive complications. Um, Travis, do you have a love triangle prediction or what? what is the love triangle? I'm trying to think of a, a possible uh, love it's triangle. Clearly, Book, Burnham, and Grudge, the cat. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get in between him and his queen. It's true. It's true. And I'm back. I had some uh, internet connectivity problems, but. Hey, I'm back. And this this is going to be more of a loose hang uh, kind of episode. So I really want everybody to to drop in those comments like Grant was saying, because we really want to hear about you, what you loved about this season. Mm -hmm. And I know our title card for this this pod episode said the best of season three. So we definitely want to be looking on the positive side. But yeah, if you look on the positive side, I wrote a list here for once. Uh, (laughs) But. But no, no, no. But if uh, you know, you know, we're always honest. So if you guys um, have anything to say that are criticisms of the season or something you wanted to see that was 
something different you wanted to see or something that you hope the show progresses for or two in season four, feel free to drop that in the comments and grant feel free to be as negative as you want. <laughs> we'll be keeping us there. All right. Uh, let's carry on and go ahead and drop some quick season three hot freaks. Excellent. Mm. Yeah, I know that's uh, that's uh, who played Human Torch. Uh, Chris, it's Chris Evans. He's it's Chris Evans. Guy. It's a beautiful young Chris Evans body on fire uh, with a, a Riker face. But the best thing about that title card is you screaming hot freaks. It just <laughs> makes it. <Freaks. laughs> I had to go through a couple different episodes to find the best. Oh, so good. Drinks, yell where it wasn't like just blasting the mic because I, mm-hmm. I, I tend to yell that a bit too loud. Well, we appreciate your effort. Um, Grant, you want to start us off with your season three hot freak? Hot freak. You know what? I, I think that upon reflecting back on this season, there's a bunch of things that I liked. There's some things that just didn't fully gel for me in retrospect. You know, t- today I did a little bit of thinking about this season, but overall, I think. This show took a big gamble in jettisoning their cast into the future, like a thousand years into the future, where they have to radically reimagine a world in a franchise that is very, you know, protected by its fans. And what they're establishing is the new way, which is trepidatious, I think, a little bit uh, for such a, a coveted and protected franchise. And in that regard, they did such an incredible job. They believably integrated what I I would think is reasonable future tech while establishing what a, what a timeline in history could have done to cause certain setbacks and presented a, a new story structure that is really interesting for our crew to try and have to navigate um, both uh, internally and externally in this world. So, you know, fantastic job to them. Tip of the hat there. There's certain things that always are going to get me, um, that I like mysteries are, I'm always gravitating toward like mysteries where you're trying to, um, decipher what's going on where the clues they're laying out for us. So in that regard, I was already going to be on board with something like, um, the burn and what's going on with Adira seeing gray and um, whether or not Starfleet, uh, where if Starfleet existed initially, and then whether or not they were uh, nefarious, you know, all of these things. Like, I, I felt all of that really kept, kept me engaged throughout the season. Um, and then I, I think my other biggest takeaway in my way overblown, overloaded hot freak here um, it's my job. just I love what they did with the arc for Michael Burnham. In particular, um, always a fantastic character. She's she's just so compelling to me. But I think there has been a, a struggle for um, what they wanted to do or how how they could uh, believably lead her to be in the captain's chair. And they knew that they they still had to resolve that through this season because they couldn't just stick her there in the beginning. Um, there's going to be a problem with. Uh, her dynamic with the crew and and her dynamic with herself, I guess. Um, so I thought how they executed that throughout this season was really well done. Those right, were my positive opinion? notes. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So in, in preparing for this, I wanted to go back and I rewatched the first two episodes of the season um, just because those are the ones that weren't as fresh in my mind at this point. And I have to say seeing Burnham, from those first two episodes to where we end up, like you said, Grant was such a great arc of this character. And I think she really needed to have all of these emotional moments to prepare her for the captain's chair. Um, so the Burnham arc, and I know we'll kind of dig into it a little bit later, more specifically was 
definitely the core of this season for me, which I think is part of the reason why I liked it so much, because we were finally getting to know our captain of this series. And so moving forward from here, I'm very excited. Um, I also love that we got to see so many different planets. We got to see so many different worlds. We're exploring literally a whole new age of Trek, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And putting it on, it sort of reminded me of the end of the third season of Voyager, actually, when we finally get introduced to Seven of Nine in Voyager. And I think our Seven of Nine in this case is Book, um, a character who integrates into this particular universe and this crew as a way to guide us into the future. And, and, and no cat suits were involved, just a cat. So that's that's kind of the core of my hot freak. <laughs> nice. Nice. I like it. I, I'm also a book fan. Um, Kevin Richardson has a great comment that kind of summarizes part of my hot freak. He says, I've made, whoops, that's not it. <laughs> was, was it. Was it Kevin? Was it Kevin? Um, oh, it was Linda B. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Linda says, they discovered a new element in the galaxy, and it's called boyfriend material and its book. Agreed. <laughs> I so agree with that. Like, I really, really enjoyed all the new characters, especially Book and uh, Blue Del Barrio um, was great as Adira. I'm really looking forward to seeing more of Adira step up in the main cast and seeing that family dynamic um, between Blue and Ian Alexander as... um, Gray. Gray, yeah. And uh, Stamets and Kober. Uh I really like that because this show, uh, and I think the show is really going to explore that this coming year because they didn't have to do that in season three. And they really, the show really leans heavily in the uh, emotion. We get a lot of emotional character arcs. And watching these people become a family was really warm. And it brought up the stakes for me because I started to really care about them. And I think I started to care more about these characters more than ever before because they went through so much during this season. And it was, um, you could see the characters evolve and change more than ever, especially Michael Burnham. So that was, that was really great. There was another comment that I want to bring up here. Um, was it, was it this one? Adira was was definitely less annoying as a teenager (laughs) than Wesley. That wasn't it, but I, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Uh, oh, yeah. There was something about the... Um, uh, sorry, guys. I'm a little off my game today. Well, I think the comment was something about the idea of being a little a little uh, stressed out about the beginning of the season. How is the show going to um, depict this future uh, yeah, there we go. From from Curran, I honestly entered the season feeling worried how the jump into the future would go, but I was pleasantly surprised that they were able to make it work so well. And I agree. Like the first episode, I wasn't really a huge fan of it. Uh, however, I did love the world building. I didn't like the central story in the first episode because I thought it was just kind of a kind of a rote sci-fi story. But um, but the world building and everything we saw and how the the galaxy had just um moved forward technologically so much, but also took a a few cultural steps back and how we, uh, the Discovery crew was positioned as a force that was going to try to to right that cultural ship, I thought was great and brilliant and really well executed throughout the season. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Agreed. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about the future. Future, 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 future. The future. What a broad discovery. Future now. (laughs) The future that Discovery depicted uh, in season three. Mariah, I always get this wrong. 32nd century, 34th century. What were we in? 32nd century, because we're in 33 something or other. Someone in the comments will correct us otherwise. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for the math. So, Guys, tell me what you really thought about the uh, not only the physical depiction of this uh, 
you know, thousand year jump into the future, but also the cultural depiction. Um, how did you like, uh, the, did you like the way the galaxy was represented here? I mean, go ahead. You can go first. I mean, I think, well, the first thing I'll say is, uh, again, we've said it throughout the podcast of this particular season, um, like props to post-production and VFX and and a lot of the creative team. I thought they did an incredible job of conveying the fact that this is a grittier future. Um, you know, they the props and like background and the way that they built all of the sets, you know, like they needed to integrate future technologies, um, but they needed to show that it wasn't the bright, shiny future we all thought it was going to be. Right. So I thought they did a great job of that um, from head to toe wardrobe all the way down to to background arts and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then I thought they did a good job of because. The other thing I, I try to keep in the back of my mind is Calypso is now the farthest out we've actually seen. And so eventually we're going to have to get to that point. And so seeing sort of the groundwork they've been able to lay that there's like these moments that sort of reflect back to that kind of established feature they've set up and what they've done now, I thought was smart. Um, and I thought the way the characters all acted as well, sort of portrayed that this is the, you know, sort of wild west right it's space western we talked a lot about that at the beginning of the season and how you know even from like the way the barkeep was still wiping down the bar you know there's some really fun thematic elements i thought that they threw in throughout you know like our big bad and the way that their ship sort of looked and felt and the way that they dressed and yeah i was very impressed i thought they did a great job of of creating a futuristic world Right. It, it definitely needed to still feel relatively grounded, right? It's not like yeah. you can't have everyone's minds now just transferred for immortality onto computers or something, and there's no like spaceship flying around. So I have to have physical bodies on ships kind of flying around. You need to uh, establish a cataclysmic event that in some way curtailed more technological progress and having the burn happen would be a great um, element in forcing everyone to kind of have to take a step back and have relationships that were built over a hundred years ago dissolve and crumble because communication is um, tenuous at this point again. So it's, it's almost like they were able to say, um, take what was kind of going on in the initially established world of uh, season one of discovery and jump it ahead and just add a few cool, like technological advancements, but otherwise say we're kind of in the same position where our ship and crew are on the cutting edge of trying to broker relationships across the galaxy now and the universe, I guess. Um, And so I, I thought it was a smart move. Like they, they don't overwhelm us, the audience, but they do um, play with a few really cool elements like, you know, the badge that can transform anywhere, the um, cufflink, that's a gun, <laughs> um, <laughs> the the intuitive ships that can just like rise up. And, you know, like Mariah is saying, it's, it's really impressive that they had to do a lot of the special effects in post-production from their homes during a pandemic and made this look as slick as it does. This is better than most sci-fi movies that come out with million dollar budgets and years to make. (laughs) It's so true. Like this was probably the most challenging uh, visual season ever because they had to really depict this far off future with all these huge technological advancements. And really like when, when season three started, I was really looking forward to how the, the galaxy would look, you know, because, oh, we're going to see tech we've never seen before. But And at first, I was a little under underwhelmed. I was like, this looks great, but I thought there would be more, something that I couldn't think of myself, right? Mm-hmm. But I went there this season. That's all the season would be about. It would just be constant world building. Like, here's this new gadget. Here's this new tech. Like, more it would never end. Info download to you. Here's how exactly <laughs> We don't so- know. So what you said, Grant, was perfect. Like they they had like a handful of of like visual ideas of how far tech had progressed, but the core of what Trek is was still there. And 
the way that the burn kind of rolled back the um the the alliances and the social connections between uh different planets and races in the galaxy and just kind of cut people off where you had um you had Osira running the this horribly oppressive regime and then people like um like uh what was book he was a runner what did they call them courier courier yeah not a scout a scoundrel i think scoundrel he's a han solo scoundrel but yeah i'm going to like where go ahead where where they had people like that um compromising their morals in in terms in order to get by it reminded me that like cultural progression even the type of cultural progression that we see in star trek can be a pendulum right it can swing forward and then it can go way back and that's kind of what we see in real life you know sometimes the democrats are in power <laughs> three steps forward two steps back right? and like sometimes they're not so um so yeah it, it really reminded me of of uh, our own society how how just different things that impact our world can really uh sway the culture in sometimes a negative way um yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the other thing I just wanted to bring up, too, is we before we move on from sort of the world building in the future of this season, you know, I thought they had some really smart, like visual references to some sci fi that we know, you know, there were some things that definitely looked like um, Blade Runner, you know, but like, not in the same exact way, but it's like paying that homage and that respect to the people of sci-fi who have come before them and have sort of created these ideas of what will happen, um, as well as playing around with like, what current science and like theories are and the idea that as technology progresses, we would get to these places. Cause like programmable matter is something that's like in research, the way that the ship navigation things would come up to your hand. Like that is also current research, even down to the burn is based in real scientific theory. Um, so I thought the, the folks who do the scientific, you know, um, consults for the show, uh, did a great job of working with the teams to make things make sense with the Star Trek that we kind of know with the future that is actually possible. So I think that's really fun. Yeah. It was new, but not nizable for sure. I like what uh, Linda is saying here. Uh, I don't think it was necessary to have lots of technological advances, but maybe advances for humans, more golems like Picard. Are we cloning now? Maybe Vance is 200 years old, longer lifespans. What do you guys think? I mean, I I think some of those might kind of touch into cultural aspects that they haven't even addressed. So they've left it open-ended and maybe Mm -hmm. that is the case. Um, You know, that, that is like kind of what I was bringing up at the top of uh, the technological discussion is like one of the things I always think about with the future is, um, how close we are to uh, life extension slash mm-hmm. uh, immortality kind of um, tech and the idea that we had jumped thousands of years in the future and we're, we're still walking around in, in these meat sack bodies of ours um, is one of those things where I'm like, huh, okay, <laughs> guess it didn't work out. But, but yeah, the idea that like there, it could be that Vance can go into some rejuvenation tube in the future and just like, continue being the the sexy leader of the federation forever and ever uh, i'm here for that but you know people people do die that it seems like um adira is a product of um the person before her <laughs> dying so it, it still seems like death is a pretty common occurrence from a- aging right yeah yeah, yeah i think explored yeah adira i think they they also, um, you know, in their plot line, lost their parents, I think. Right. So I, I'm not sure if it was from an accident. I can't remember if it was an accident or not. I think it was. But yeah. But. And speaking of Adira, um, Carolyn K3 has a great comment about Adira and their found family with Stamets and Colbert. A found family doesn't need to follow cishet nuclear family rules. That's a joy of a found family. There's nothing weird or gross about it. Of course. Yeah. And that. What we saw, we've seen throughout Star Trek is a picture of the found family, right? Uh, people who come together um, and love each other 
and are not necessarily brothers or sisters or et cetera. Mm -hmm. But um, we saw a really special picture of a found family this season. So I wanted to bring that up earlier. And and it happens so organically and without necessarily like a turn to the camera and like a straight up address. It's just like, no, Adair is basically just found two new dads who are there to, to support them. And it's like, ah, what, what, how lovely they're, they're constantly there to listen, open hearted and um, help Adira who they're, they're, I guess they're, they're seeing some of themselves in and recognizing that it. Yeah. I just, I really did appreciate that plot line. I, the, one of my, one of my good lists was the Adira Stamets Colbert relationship and how, well, that was executed because I think early on in our first couple episodes, when uh, Adira was first introduced, we we weren't sure how uh, things were going to play with the overall dynamic uh, of the arc, and th- they did fantastic. Yeah, I I really love that I we got to see Stamets. I think sort of see perhaps like a version of of themselves in Adira in a way, like the young you know, hotshot kind of engineer and someone who's looking for a place to belong. Um, and after Stamets had such a huge loss in earlier seasons, the the idea that Stamets can then put together a family with the people who he does love and respect on the ship, um, you know, I really, I love seeing and I'm excited to see that continue into the next season and how that sort of familial found family unit continues to grow but then also how are we now repairing that relationship between Stamets and um and Burnham as well as as far as like the even larger extended family of the ship right um I did have a question for the both of you about the Federation what did you guys think I mean we had theories like we had discussed the what what we thought the Federation might be like in the first like three episodes before they kind of before Adira points them in the direction of where where the Federation is and we discover it. Um, and I don't know. I, I think I was a little bit underwhelmed. Yeah, it kind of like the when I saw the depiction of the future, the future future times three in the first season. Uh, or in the first episode of the season, when we finally got to the Federation and we saw what it was, we really just saw a piece of it, right? Because it was the Federation. It was Starfleet. It wasn't necessarily the Federation. Um, the Starfleet is part of the Federation, even though um, the Admiral says it's one and the same, kind of an easy thing for the writers to do. But I don't know exactly what I wanted to see or how I wanted the Federation to be depicted in terms of the way it looked and the way it functioned and the way it felt. But I immediately felt this isn't it. This, this doesn't feel necessarily like what I want. However, I was won over by it because it, it was new and it was, it was something that we had to sit back and figure out. Right. And it was something that we had to, get used to um, just like our characters did. And I think Michael and even Saru who really wanted to embrace the Federation more than anyone um, bumped up against what this new Federation looked like. You know, there was a lot of headbutting going on and it wasn't a perfect fit when disco first got there. And I kind of appreciated that that was happening with the show because that's how, kind of how I felt. I was like, this isn't my federation. And right. they were feeling they were feeling the same thing. This isn't my federation because it wasn't. Um, but that enabled the, the great emotional story of re, not necessarily rebuilding the federation, but making a new federation that is a combination of what this new galaxy needs and what the previous previously established federation from the other shows that we had um, like the, all the best of that. And so that's kind of what we saw um, kind of be created throughout right. this. this season. Mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember seeing too much of the federation as its own kind of presence in the first two seasons. 
of discovery like we have interactions with with pike coming in and kind of taking over command and i think maybe we see once some leaders from the federation kind of come in and talk with Lorca, but otherwise th- they weren't kind of like mainstay characters in so much of the first two seasons where we see Vance is much more of a, a representative and liaison that is going to be one of the main kind of cast. It seems. I think because discovery always represented the Federation in that previous timeline we were in. And so if we wanted to look at the Federation, like how, what do they look like? What do they sound like? What do they represent? We saw that in the best of the discovery crew. And now that the discovery crew had been gone for a thousand years, we needed to reset and viewers and figure out what does the Federation look, sound like, act like now. So we had to look elsewhere. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of felt like, um, the federation that we saw, especially at the beginning of the season, was like a federation that had absolutely no hope and like zero budget left. Do you know what I mean? It was like they had no dilithium. Their resources were really small. They've lost so many members because they've sort of lost trust because no one really trusted anybody. And so it was this whole rebuilding effort. And I I kind of liked seeing how, you know, the quote unquote, the sausage was made a little bit, right? To see how far they sort of had to come to get to the point at the end of this particular season, but now we have even farther to go. And I think that's what's sort of exciting about the next season is seeing how discovery can sort of lead them back to what the Federation was at, at, at one particular point. Um, And, and sort of what it would be like to be back in that prime era of the Federation. Um, Right. But yeah, I agree with you, Mike. It didn't feel like the one, like everything was suspicious. We're like, are they bad? <laughs> I don't know. We thought Admiral Vance was suspicious forever. <laughs> we're then... so conditioned by so much TV that we watch. And yeah, I I, I think they play a little bit to that too. They, the writers have to know what they're mm-hmm. doing in that regard. But yeah, I, I was underwhelmed initially with Federation. I think there's quite a bit of redemption by the end. And I'm much more on board and and excited about what we're seeing with them. Chris Rogers has a good comment. I'm really appreciative of the writers making choices that weren't necessarily safe because I feel like it's better to encounter new possibilities. Yeah, it would have been a huge bummer if we jumped a thousand years in the future and everything was the same. We had there was continuity with the Federation, with um, with the way that different species related to each other, with, you know, Disco showing up and driving to or, or warping to Federation um, headquarters and everything being the same. Like, they really had to shake things up and they did it in a way that um, really had us guessing the whole time. Yeah. And I appreciated that. Right. Let's uh let's talk about Burnham. Yes. Let's talk about Burnham's character arc. Uh when we initially meet Burnham, um the first episode of the season, she, she drops right into the future. She's wearing the uh the red angel suit and the Burnham first thing she, into she crashes <laughs> into the future and she has to figure out if um if there's anything alive out there. And that whole episode followed her and her meeting of book. And when she finally meets up with the discovery crew, a year has passed for her, but not for disco. And she feels a little dispassionate towards the discovery towards the Federation towards Starfleet. And throughout the season, she has to, to find that calling again and balance it out with the new person she's become uh, being a a scoundrel with book and being someone who had to make compromises and kind of lose some of their idealism um, living in this new uh, in this new future. So did that did that arc and that change in Burnham did that pay off for you guys? Did it feel did it feel earned? It yeah. it really felt earned for me this season. Like in in rewatching the first two episodes and see that scream of just like relief 
that life still existed was so like such a so cathartic in a way of just like she's like okay i've sacrificed everything and it was worth it there's still life um and then you know her having this time away from the ship i think really helped the character grow and i hope at some point maybe we get some fun flashbacks or some like tales of the time you know perhaps next season of her rumspringa yeah you know, besides like I do love the references between her and book of like their little like adventures together. I think that's like a cute thing between their characters. But I think she really needed the time away from the Federation to continue to figure out who she actually is as a person minus anything else. And then I think returning to the Federation gave her the opportunity to say, I can still be my own person, but within the Federation and her seeing that, okay, I, I now know that, yes, I need to follow some rules, but I can also figure out how to bend the rules like all of our favorite captains do. Um, and also be a true leader to that entire team and that and that crew and to see them really love and respect her on that level was just like really great at the end. And so it was like the scream in the first episode and that smirk and the let's fly in the final. It was just like chef's mm-hmm. kiss. I loved mm-hmm. it so much. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that the Burnham we were introduced in the first season was very much a, a person of, you know, uh, two minds very much in, in conflict on, with her identity because uh, humans are very emotional. <laughs> and yet she was raised Vulcan and trying to suppress all of that emotion. Um, and then continuing to constantly be in charge of trying to impress other people to the point where she has a, you know, clear saviors complex, which a lot of our heroes do. That's <laughs> us television watchers and movie watchers. We like that. But at the same time, uh, something psychologically that you can delve into there about like this compulsion and yet this kind of uh, this compulsion to save people and this like turning off of, of your emotions uh, of how you react to certain situations and, and just being logical and steadfast, her taking that year off to just be on her own and no longer be under the Federation umbrella to allow her to process like, Hey, I can fall in love with a person and I can act with my own independence and not under these rules uh, that have been kind of outlined for me and just kind of be this, this robot who processes everything. I, I can take charge of my, um, my own actions. I think it was, it was important and yet it didn't need, we didn't need to see all of it ourselves. We just needed to know that she had that time for that character growth. Um, And then bringing her back in and just kind of having the struggle of like, no, I've had a taste of, of, my own autonomy and just being able to do what I want. here. I I don't think I can operate under the constraints and especially with Saru being Mm -hmm. so steadfast to the ideals where he's um, uncompromising (laughs) almost. Um, It's a great juxtaposition that really um, clashed these two um, ideologies. And I thought really helped bring to a head, where she was struggling and how she resolved what she needed in her identity. It was well done. Yeah. Chupi has a great comment here that Burnham is going to out Kirk Kirk. I feel like they're really setting her up to captain that way. And I would have never thought that watching the Burnham. (laughs) It's so surprising. I I would have never thought that watching uh, the Burnham from season one. I mean, she's really been on such a, a rewarding and and deep character arc and character evolution from season one to really the end of season three. Um, I did think that a lot of the character growth or change or evolution that we're asked to to swallow in that third episode when she finally meets up with the disco crew and she feels extremely like dispassionate about the whole thing. And there's lots of dialogue about how she's changed and she's different. I thought that felt a little rushed and a little forced. Um, but as the season went on, I think that that change in, um, in in her dynamic with the crew and in her just just in the way that she she acted and and uh, how she was more, I guess, red blooded and passionate about things uh, really made for for just an exciting exciting version of the character and 
it came full circle when she became captain at the end. Yeah. Sorry, Saru. Bye. <laughs> well, you know, Saru can still be captain. Um, Spock was captain in the movies and so was Kirk. Kirk was captain of the Enterprise and so was Spock. But when Kirk came on the Enterprise, Kirk took precedence. They were both captains, but Spock had another job. He was a captain slash science officer. It's like he, he can still have the rank, but he didn't necessarily is captain plus. Not necessarily the position. Yes, Burnham's a captain, captain. <laughs> well, I'm wondering to, you know, and not to, we can come back to Burnham, but before I forget, I just wanted to say, I think Saru's character, we, we'll talk about his arc, but going into the fourth season, I think he's going to have a similar arc to Burnham in that he maybe needs some time away from the Federation mm-hmm. to also sort of get back to who he is as a person and to the core and, um, maybe see that there is an advantage to bending and being a little bit more flexible with some of the rules in some ways, um, or at least seeing where the loopholes of the rules are. Right. Cause I think of him being pretty similar to Spock and Spock was also pretty good at finding weird loopholes to the rules in order to still sort of bend and play with them when, uh, when working with Kirk. So. Yeah. With Saru, it seemed like maybe there's just too many things going on this season that they couldn't take more time to explore what they had already established in the first two, especially with, you know, the ganglia falling off and this idea of um, what, 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 what are they called Kelpians Kelpians being alpha predators once that, that falls off and having heightened aggression. I, I thought that might be a little bit more explored here, but instead we still got a uh, subdued um, stickler to the rules, Saru, that we were kind of familiar with uh, when he still had the ganglia, minus a little bit of of the the fear inhibition. So it seems he's still pretty grounded, and I, I thought, yeah, I thought there might be a little bit more emotional turmoil with kind of how do I how do I react to this? And I think the closest we got. There's this one scene where they're standing up really high somewhere, and he's like, "Oh, human! What's the sensation? Are humans afraid of heights when they're uh, on that other planet?" And he was turned human. I'm like, what is going on? Um, yeah. And I was like, "Oh, yeah, okay." So he doesn't experience that kind of fear. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, and and sort of coming back to all of our, our our sort of core crew characters too. I think, um you know, we got to see a lot of Burnham's emotional journey in this particular season. And I've seen like the chat is talking a lot about like Adira and Gray's background and where all of that sort of coming from. Um, And, and I think we have to just like put some of our trust into the writers that we're going to get some of these storylines a little bit slower and over time, which Mm -hmm. I appreciate because I'd rather learn and grow with the characters and find out some of this backstory information to help inform how their characters moving forward as the show goes along. And I think that is maybe some of the main difference between a serialized and an episodic is like, we don't have to jam pack via dialogue every piece of a person's story into the one episode they're going to be on right so we get to see these characters evolve and grow beyond um what we've normally seen same thing with like stamets and colber i think we've slowly gotten to see especially this season more of their relationship as just being in their relationship instead of having to like give those things of like oh they like andorian opera and like these they're fun, small character traits, but like leave me breadcrumbs instead of giving me the entire loaf of bread. Right. Yeah. And you know, I, I agree on that point. I I think though, you know, similar to um, how Saru had to take a little bit of uh, a backseat on, on certain sort of um, character arc growth. There was a little bit of a, a dropping off of some plot lines from season two with, with Colbert and Stamets as well, because we had a lot more tension with Colbert dying and then not remembering that relationship when he's, he's brought back in and being told, Hey, you've been in a long-term, I don't know, marriage. It was a marriage uh, with, with Stamets or at least a relationship with Stamets and, and, and him not identifying with that. And then this season, it just kind of seemed to almost drop that. And it was just like picked up with like they're together and it's going well. 
Yeah, I yeah. guess multiple traumas will sort of uh, shock your system back into <laughs> into place. But that could also be something that's interesting down the line is like once there's a little bit more established and comfortable in the future, you know, is the idea that now that they've sort of grown their extended, you know, family, their found family going to help build that relationship? Or is it going to make them realize that they are so completely different as well? So I'll, I'm really interested to see where that relationship goes and what tensions can be built. And, um, you know, I also think of part of that extended family is Jet Reno. And I hope we just get more and more Jet Reno <laughs> all we, the time. We might get we might get less and less because no. I know Tig, Tig is very um, adamant about not filming much in the during the pandemic. Understandable. So, yeah, totally understandable. So she put might her not be in, in a any. bubble on a green screen and just like put her <laughs> in and random, just like like the Bernie Sanders meme that's been going on the last few days. Like we just insert a random Tig whenever needed. The the robot comes by with her on the screen. She yes. won't leave her engineering room, and she's like. Hey, uh, I'm not coming out of the engineering room, but I just want to yell at you a little bit, Stamets. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Listen, uh, we don't have enough PPE here, so I'm just going to project myself uh, <laughs> through this little robot. I mean, that said about the rest of the cast, though, they did such a great job of fleshing out more of the background characters this season yeah, and making it feel like this team does know each other and has that that family relationship, which I think is integral to this, this idea that all of them made a choice to leave everything they knew behind and jump a thousand years into the future together. So you're all you have, and we better start kind of feeling that a little bit more. So when they had like the, the group parties and, and morning and the dinners and all that, and you get everyone talking around the table, that definitely just felt much more like I'm getting a sense of the rest of the crew here. Yeah, and uh, Chris Rogers says, we don't need to know everything, neither all at once or sometimes ever. And yeah, that's the kind of, um, that, like, like Mariah was saying, the breadcrumbs, that's the kind of storytelling, the kind of character arc that sometimes just feels a lot more organic and natural. You see someone grow in the margins, you see them participate in the storyline, and they slowly um change and grow and become a, a deeper person. And by the, by the end of the season or the end of the series, it's extremely fulfilling to see where they are, or what they've achieved, just like we saw with Burnham, even though I thought her character progression was a little quick uh, this season, as the season went on, it started to become more natural, more fleshed out, especially as she shared more scenes with book and her scenes with book. Not only were they sexy, um, but they filled in a lot of the gaps for me because we didn't see her gap year, right? We didn't mm -hmm. get to see that, but we, we saw that uh, comfort we, level, you know? Yeah. We saw the comfort level between her and book and it, it gave us a, a window into what she had experienced during that year with this new relationship in this new world. So yeah, it, that made it feel a lot more organic. Plus, I mean, David Ajala, I'm so happy he's coming back for season four. Really good stuff. Um, the guy who plays Admiral Vance, uh, I don't remember his name, but I know that he mm -hmm. was in Deuce Bigelow, Mel Gigolo. Uh, the Mummy, the only the most iconic bisexual film of all time. <laughs> oh, okay. All the right. Brendan Fraser Mummy? Yes. Oded Far. Yeah, uh, yes. Mm. <laughs> I think his first name's Oded. Yeah, I want to see him back. Um, I, I just, I don't know, his scene at the end of the season or his scenes with Osira, even though we could pro probably debate whether or not he made the right call, just showed us so much of his personality. I think he's a great leader, an interesting character, and uh, he's the one who revealed that all the uh, the stuff we get, all the food in the future is made of shit. Is made of shit. <laughs> All the processed food or, or the replicated food yeah, um, comes from our shit. Oded fair. There Oded go. fair. Thank you. Thank you, um, So I know we're almost like an hour in, and I can't I believe we haven't even gotten to talking about Tilly's arc this mm -hmm. season, as well as the rest of I was like, man, they, they really like packed so much in because it's like we also haven't even talked about the departure of Michelle Yeoh yet and our like 
two hour episode. Here two we hour go. Episode. <laughs> I think I think we're gonna need a two parter. We might have to do a two parter. Two parter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be back soon for more. Just Mike, Mike's like, we're out. Bye. Bye. <laughs> but you I know, clearly maybe... wasn't prepared. I need to go to bed. <laughs> but um, yeah, Tilly. But yeah, I think, you know, Tilly, I know there's a lot of discussion when she was made um Saru's number one. And I do think, you know, in re in re I, I would highly encourage people to rewatch that second episode where we just see how shell shocked the whole crew is when they crash land on this planet and it sort of is the the spark for so much um of the plot moving forward specifically within our character arcs for our crew cuz we see Kayla sort of have her big topple moment and it's like very scary trying to land the ship with everyone sort of yelling and screaming and coming to after being knocked out and and her first moments of really being scared of what, uh, you know, the fact that she holds so many lives in her hands and there's people who they lost because of that to Tilly really having to step up in a way as soon as they crash land to be Saru's counterpart. Um, you know, she is immediately getting, trying to get scans of what's happening on the planet. And then she goes out on this away mission and he's like, I brought you because I know you'll keep a cool, cool, calm head throughout all of this. You know, you're not the hothead who's going to get us into a gunfight. Um, even though they do get into a gunfight, but (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't Tilly's fault. Um, but yeah, I thought she had great growth, even if it did seem like there was a bit of a step back, perhaps in confidence. I do think we got to see Tilly step forward in her capabilities. I mean, in part, I kind of disagree on on the Tilly arc in that because we are shown this kind of shaken belief and this this loss of confidence it it felt more like they were telling us that she had that in her than I felt it myself. I, I mean, I thought that what I was seeing was that Saru was identifying with her and felt a little bit more like she was a confidant than necessarily I was seeing that she has what else it takes for the leadership. And it wasn't until the penultimate episode that I thought that the the storyline did show her having what it takes to be a leader. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I was with Vance when Vance was like her <laughs> uh, in, in the, in episode 10 when he, he delegates uh, when Saru delegates that Tilly should take over. But, and then she ends up losing the ship and I was almost like, see, in fact, I think I was like, see, yeah. but in the next episode, she really does step up in the, the last two episodes. She allows that failure to, you know, not, not defeat her, but like inform her continuing actions. And then she kind of steps into that role and really embraces it. And everyone around her embraces her as the leader that they need for that moment. And I thought that was pretty good. It felt a lot more organic to me than to you, Grant, um, because I always saw Tilly, especially like maybe towards the end of season one, as a character who was extremely capable, but just kind of had an experience and a confidence issue. Um, but was I thought she really rose to the occasion here, and especially when she had to have those one-on-one face-offs with people like Osira. I thought she did a great job defending her crew defending her position, defending the um, the discovery itself. And again, I, I just go back to that quote from Picard. You can do all everything right and still lose. And that's, that's what happened. Um, but she did redeem herself uh, in the eyes of a lot of the other characters towards the end. Um, but yeah. Are there any comments about Tilly that we want to bring up here? <laughs> I mean, I guess I'll stop complaining about it. <laughs> I, no, I, I, I like to complain. I, I like I love the actress. I, I just thought that like, you know, even that scene that you like with her um and Osira kind of trading barbs, I felt like that was the mark of um of immaturity that she would do a, a back and forth snark off rather than um cutting off that line of communication and moving to cloaking or moving away from the situation as like a little bit more um rapidly. It, like down downplaying the threat that it was. 
but, uh, uh, an enemy talking is an enemy not getting your crew from the nebula and an enemy not firing on your ship. That's yeah, what Drew would say, but Burnham would be like, oh, let's just warp speed right through their ship and tear it in half or something. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Burnham would pull a, a Holdo maneuver. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. We go full Star Wars here. Yeah. Uh, I- Chris, Chris Rogers says Tilly steps out of necessity. Um, she knows the crew has her back and she's willing to trust herself. But when the time comes and there's no choice but to, but to act, she does it without question. That's it. I agree with that. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I, I can see where you're coming from grant, but I almost think the writers did this on purpose because I think it is about establishing a character who, who is almost more like the, I mean, she's outrageously smart, so not like a normal person, but in the same way that we all make mistakes and sometimes those mistakes are learning opportunities, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Just like what Lamo was saying there. um, Tilly has those natural progressions and then steps back. Um, Yeah, like it, it felt real and genuine and I appreciate that. I think the idea that I was sold that she was already a natural leader ready for these kind of situations that I wasn't necessarily buying so much as like, but, but isn't that also kind of the point? Like we're in a situation where you have to look to your left and right. And someone just has to step up into the moment. Mm -hmm. It's not like, (laughs) it's not like, Oh, you've already been trained for every (laughs) It's fine. It is just that I, I also had my reservations and then I was one over later. Mm -hmm. That's all. I think, I think since we're getting close, we can talk about a few more things, but maybe in our follow-up pod, we can talk about the future, talk about theories for season four and get everyone's theories. If you want to drop them uh, at Star Trek pod on Twitter, or if you're part of our Slack group, you can just drop them into Slack so we can come back uh, in a week or two and do that live. But right now, guys, before we go, We've had a, a few weeks to sit with it. So what do you think about those new uniforms? And do you think they'll keep them? <laughs> Is that what, that's the pressing issue here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think I stand by my first impression in that I think they're going to look better next season because they will probably get retrofitted into uh, materials that are going to be easier for actors to be wearing for longer terms, more fitted and polished and tailored, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've been impressed with this costume department thus far, so I don't think they're going to let me down. Um, but I will say my gut reaction was that I did not love the gray just because I really loved the dark blue disco uniform. So it's going to be hard to top it. Somebody, somebody posted a tweet that said, I think we've seen these uniforms before and they put, um, it was a picture or a screenshot of the disco crew in their new grays with the colored stripe but they all had uh, Mc- McDonald's name badges <laughs> oh, God. and it just works so well. I was like, Oh yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm also not necessarily feeling these outfits and here. I, I, I pulled it up so we can look at it. There we go. <laughs> the thing is, um, it looks so good on Vance. So I'm like, what has happened into the, the translation here? You know, what, what changed in the fit, you know? I, I don't I don't know. It looks like some eighties throwback couches or something. <laughs> it's like it, that's not right because it's it's a little more mod than that. But it it's just that we're so used to seeing them in the blue, I think. And then looking at these, I I am not feeling it at all. <laughs> Look definitely got the 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 best uh dress option, you know. Who? Look, he's not in uniform. He's yeah, just he's in just wearing, black. He's wearing like a black t-shirt, like from the Gap or something. He looks great. Yeah. I, I, the thing I hate about them most actually is the boots. I miss those dis- Discovery sneakers. Mm. Those boots, it, they just look a little too militaristic for me, right? The whole thing looks a little too militaristic. Yeah, and maybe these are like the dress uniforms. You know how like a lot yeah. of branches have like the dress uniforms. So maybe this is like the ship christening, and we're gonna get some better like workman mm-hmm. uniform options. Yeah, yeah, they'll definitely change these, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't speak to like 
yes, they're military uniforms, but A, they've emphasized that on this show that this is much more of a science-leaning ship. So, I don't know. Have it be like nerdy t-shirts with like uh, an Adam sign or something on it. <laughs> uh, instead of them all having to have the same uniform here. I mean... I'm I'm all for body socks, right, Mariah? We can do some body socks. Oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I like the collar. I, I, there's like things I I like the collar. I like the stripe. I think I just want to like raise the the like, um, like the bottom of the shirts up, like hike up that. I don't know anything about fashion, so I don't really. I, I wear. <laughs> Literally, I've been wearing t-shirts and leggings for an entire year, so I have nothing to say to this. I've just yeah. been wearing a Snuggie. I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I wish like the pants were a different color. Have the pants be red like the stripe or something like that. Oh, that could be interesting. Um, oh, Karen has a, a, a interesting point. Are we basing our uniforms in part because Sonequa... Uh, you're, you're cutting out there a little bit. But uh, I'll also read it. Are we basing the impressions of the uniform in part because uh, Sonequa wasn't as form-fitting due to her pregnancy? No, because I think I'm basing it more on the way it looks on everybody else, who I'm assuming they didn't have to do as much, you know, sort of adjustments to 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 fit, you know, based to, to hide what was sort of going on for her in particular. Right. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I'm like, you're telling me that like Bryce and Reese, who are two very and like Kayla and Owo, who are all very attractive people, also don't look like super slick in these, then we've got a problem, you know? <laughs> right. The whole thing is is baggy and it seemed like such an afterthought. There is like, here, throw these on real quick. Like I I watched all the behind the scenes on the costume stuff, and I know they have particular reasons for all of these. I'm just like, I'm hoping there's just like some small adjustments to make th- I'm sure on paper they looked great and I'm just hoping they saw it like on camera and are maybe like, Oh, now everything's a little too gray and the same tone on the, on the bridge, especially, you know, cause now they're the same color as the doors. I hope they spend an entire episode where everyone on the ship is complaining about this. <laughs> like this is just so awful and not form fitting. I mean, I appreciate it. Like, like but can we have someone else? Like, uh, can we just go back to the old outfits? <laughs> This isn't Ru. I just saw Chris Rogers. This isn't RuPaul's Drag Race Starfleet. It, uh, it is today. It is today for me. Gonna, we spent most of our episode just criticizing these outfits. Here, I am now the Michelle Visage of Star Trek, and I shall be judging the runway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? I mean, in uh, Back to the Future, when they go to the future, which was the year what twenty. Um, 15 something like that <laughs> 2015, sure. I think Um, you can push a button and it shrinks your clothes to fit now we're like 3,000 years in the future come on right we had a lower decks episode that referenced the fact that they can sort of like create their own outfits all the time so we're, we'll yeah again oh like, you're on your phone I don't know what happened my my internet died so I'm on my phone all right. Well, um, we're still criticizing the outfits. <laughs> I Perhaps we should just uh, wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, I think we can go ahead and uh, stop with the outfits. I'm sorry. Hey, I'm back. Oh, there's too many mics. Too Double many mics. mics. Too many mics. All right. Not ever enough mics. I don't know what's going on in my neighborhood, or maybe I just didn't pay the bill. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> it looks like your lights turned off, too. I don't know. You know, everything's just going awry. All right, we're, so we're still talking about the uniforms. Man. No, we, we we wrapped it up. We, we wrapped up the universe. We put a tacky bow on those tacky outfits. So very good. Okay, well, um, I think we will be back in a couple of weeks to uh, to do a theory talk, and uh, we got maybe... to do like an homage to Michelle Yeoh. I, I think. was going to say we didn't really talk about her very much. Let's talk about those Mirror Universe episodes. Grant, you got your grievances. <laughs> We can also do an airing of grievances. That's we fine. We must complain about what the burn actually ended up being. I can't be the only one who's annoyed. Yeah. I will refute all of your claims about the burn. It turns out the burn was just a really angry kid. It was, not, it was sound and science and subspace, and it was wonderful. Grant that it's so reductive. And uh, people died everywhere. <laughs> Come on. So All right, we'll argue about that next time.
yeah, hopefully Clyde can join us next time. We do. We do miss Clyde. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us on the pod this week. Thanks for rolling with my technical difficulties. Remember, just follow us on Twitter at Star Trek Pod to find out when we are going live again during the off season. Correct. And don't forget, you can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find links to all of that and more at StarTrekPod.co. And take a listen. Take us on your next hike or uh, car ride or wherever you're going. Um, And at this point, you guys know that you can help support us over at Patreon.com slash StarTrekPod. Make $2 an episode pledge. Right now, it's a it's a sweet spot because we're doing less episodes a month, so it's it's a money saver. Um, go over there, make their two dollar an episode pledge. Come join us over on our exclusive Slack channel where we talk about all sorts of stuff behind the scenes. We do exclusive bonus episodes just for you guys because we love you so much and you're helping support this little podcast venture of ours that strokes our egos. We need it to stroke our egos, um, and we just like talking track actually. That's a little bit more honest. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, and also I want to give a quick shout out. Thank you um, to Karen who helps run our Twitter and James Worm who helps run our Insta and to just thank you guys for sticking with us through uh, all this podcast show and joining us on the chat. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks Grant. Thanks everyone. Uh, Mariah, where can we find you online? I'm at Mariah Gossett on all platforms. That's Mariah with a Y and a Gossett with two S's and two T's. Great. Uh, you can find me at Baron Von Grant. I realize I didn't actually uh, write it up here on my screen. So I'm going to say, boom, Baron Von Grant. You can find me <laughs> at Baron Von Grant. Follow me at Mike Moody Garcia on Twitter and Insta. Also follow Grant and I at MCU pod on Twitter and check out our, our Marvel uh, cinematic universe podcast we're covering wandavision on friday nights on the youtubes that's right twitter.com slash mcu pod so if you guys like wandavision come come join us uh our buddy randy from the tv dudes is going to join us tomorrow uh he owns a comic book shop so he better know about comics because me don't know you think yeah <laughs> all right live long and prosper bye bye